Welcome to the Landmark Church Weekly Podcast. I was reading some stuff this week, most of you know. Thank you for everybody who celebrated my birthday. I celebrated my birthday so many times this week, I feel like I have to add an extra year to my life. So I'm 41 now. Uh, no, just kidding. I, I came across these things. I thought they were funny. Um, this is unknown. 40 isn't old if you're a tree. I thought that was good. Charles Schultz, who wrote uh, Peanuts, he said, just a reminder, once you're over the hill, you begin to pick up speed. This was unknown, but 40 years old, the halfway point between diapers and depends. I love this. This is very true if you're close to my age. The best part of being over 40 is we did most of our stupid stuff before the internet. How many can say amen to that? And then I love this from Bob Hope. Middle age is when your age starts to show around your middle. Amen. Once you stand up today, if you got your Bible, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. I want to talk to you about something this morning. I'll be honest with you, long before um, I've been planning this kind of message for a while, long before an election or anything, not even really um, thinking about that. I was thinking more about um, legacy and getting older, honestly, and uh, this message, it kind of came together, and I want to pull some things, but I think some things are going to be very important for everything that we're going through right now. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, are you with me? Say amen this morning. Amen. amen. Let's wake up this morning. You can, pre- you can scream, preach it, you can say whatever you need to say this morning, keep yourself awake. Um, so, amen. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, but you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness Godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, to which you were also called, and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God, who gives life to all things, and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession, before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest in his own time, he who is blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Father, we just thank you for your word. Your word is life-changing. Father, I don't know about anybody else today, but I came today because I want to hear your word to me. Father, we need to hear what you're saying to us. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Give us boldness to be witnesses for you. So, Father, I just pray that you bless this time together right now. May we leave here changed in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We ask all of these things. Amen and amen. Look, turn around, look at somebody and say, I'm glad I get to sit by you today and you may be seated. I honestly did think about, once again, um, getting older and looking back on life and thinking about that. And I almost came up with 40 things I've learned in 40 years, but I thought that may take a long time to think of 40 things and to say 40 things. So I'm, I'm going to spare you today. But really, when you, when you turn certain ages, uh, the years with zero on them seem to just have a little more significance in your life. When you're 10 years old, your parents say to you, you're, you've now turned double digits. 
What's a big deal? You're 10 years old. You're double digits. 20 maybe not as big as probably 21. Or for me, it was 25 because I worked a job where we traveled. and I couldn't rent a car until I was 25 years old. So 25 meant a lot because I could finally rent my own car and have a little freedom when we traveled places. But when you get 30, you're coming out of your 20s. And then 40, you're getting closer to middle-aged life and those kind of things. People say, that's not middle-aged. How many people do you know over 80? There's not tons, okay? So you're getting closer to that middle-aged at 40 years. Old, so those those ages with the zero tend to tend to make a difference. I, I recently was reminded of a um, a quote by a, a famous Danish philosopher named Soren Kierkegaard, and he said this. He said, "Life is meant to be lived forward, but understood backwards." Life is meant to be lived forward, but understood backwards. In other words, there are some things I won't understand about my life until I get a little bit of age on me, and I can look back over my life and see some things that were happening, see some things that were making sense, see some things that still maybe not make sense. I don't believe we'll understand everything right now in this life, but I do believe we can look back and see things that we did not see in the very moment that were happening. We used to sing a song, an old song, and it says this, by and by, when the morning comes, when all the saints of God are gathered home, we will tell the story of how we overcome and we'll understand it better by and by. There's going to be some things even in heaven that we understand that we don't understand right now, but even in this life, I believe we live forward, but we look back at our life and we understand things. One of the things about the Native American culture that I appreciate so much that many other cultures don't seem to respect as much is the, the wisdom that comes from the elders. It is the wisdom that comes from those who have lived life a little bit and have understand life and it's the blessing and the wisdom that comes from listening to those who have lived life and gone before us. They are a little seasoned in life and as I get older I understand the wisdom that there are people that have done things I haven't done. They've experienced things I haven't experienced and because of that they have a little wisdom about life that I don't have and as I look to them and listen to them they can share insights into my life and pour into me into ways that other people cannot can you say amen and help me this morning so as I've been thinking about all of this this one word came to my mind it's the word generation and so I began to do a research on the word generation just stick with me this morning I've got a lot of good things to share with you but I, I I've been doing research on the word generation, and the first, one of the first places in the Bible it came up was Genesis chapter 17. So I'm going to read seven verses of Scripture to you from Genesis 17. Verse 1, it says this, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant. Everybody say covenant. I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make the nations, make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and your descendants after you, 
in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. So here is God making covenant with Abraham. He's about to make covenant with him and he talks to him. He says, Abraham, out of you is going to come many nations. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you fruitful. Kings of the earth are going to come from you, Abraham. I'm going to do all these things. And then he goes on to talk about generations. As I begin to research the word generations in the Hebrew, one word stuck out to me. Stuck out to me. We understand generations means a time. It means a, a time of pe- where people live. It means a, a, a time group or an era. But one of the words that it said was the word dwelling. In other words, people dwelling in that era. They are the generation. They are dwelling in that era. And it got to me thinking about this, that what God was telling Abraham was this, Abraham, no matter where you dwell, I am going to make covenant with you. And my covenant is everlasting. You can't outrun my covenant, Abraham. You can't go beyond my covenant. No matter where you go, I still make covenant. My covenant does not quit. My my covenant does not cease. Abraham, you can try to walk away, but I will never. Never walk away from my covenant that I am making with you because I am a faithful God and no matter where you dwell. It's why the psalmist can say, I can go to heaven and behold, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I, make, if I go to the farthest parts of the earth, behold, you are still there. There is nowhere you can go to outrun the goodness and the covenant that God has made in, with us, that God loves us. And no matter where you dwell, Abraham, you can dwell here, you can go live over there. Guess what, Abraham? My covenant will still be with you no matter where you are dwelling. Amen? But then there's one word. I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you, but there's times I read the Bible and it's almost like a word just pops out and slaps me upside the face. And this one word, I've read this scripture many, many, many times, and this one word popped out to me like it never has before. You probably read it many times. You're thinking, well, Justin, I've got that many times. You're kind of slow here. Probably so, okay? But here's the truth. This one word changed all of this for me. And God says, tells Abraham, I will make covenant in their, common word, I will make covenant in their generation. And what I love about that is God was telling Abraham, Abraham, you are experiencing me right now. This is not young Abraham. This is 99-year-old Abraham. Abraham's lived a long life. He's seen a lot of things. But now God comes to him at an old age and says, Abraham, I am making covenant with you. But I am going to make covenant with those coming after you. And I will do it in their generation. In other words, God wasn't just the God of Abraham. Abraham experienced God then. But how many of you know we can still have covenant with God? in our generation we can still see God do things in our generation he didn't just do it a long time ago and tell us about it but he is still with us he is still visiting us we can still experience him right now in our generation he can do it again in the midst of everything going on God can visit us and we can be reminded of his covenant in our own generation amen I don't know about you, but I'm tired of hearing about all that God did in the past and then never experiencing any of it in the present. I'm glad God did things. I'm glad people can tell me about it. I'm glad of miracles of old, and they told us about those things. I did a funeral here on Friday. Brother Bill Entz had gone here. He's 80, almost 89 years old, and he'd tell me many times about he was in Korea in the conflict, was not serving God. This was told at his funeral. Was not serving God, and he's there on the battlefield. And he hears a voice, and he recognized later it was the Holy Spirit because nobody spoke to him, nobody said a word around him. But he heard something in his mind at least say, run. And he took off running as fast as he could. 
And as he did, everything around him exploded. And those that were left passed away. But Bill survived. And he said, when he, when he got done with that, he told God, if you'll let me get out of this, I will serve you the rest of the days of my life. And Bill passed away just last, about a week and a half ago, and he passed away serving God. He was, he, he was, he was, I mean, he was faithful to what he told God there, and he served him the rest of his life. And he would talk about the miraculous power of God that saved him that day, that he heard a voice say, run, and he ran and got out of the line of fire and everything else. The reason I'm telling you that is this, because I've heard stories of God doing miraculous things. I know people that God has healed. But I want, I want to experience in my generation, I want my son Benjamin to be able to experience it in his generation. I don't want this just to be a thing that we heard about long ago. The reason Israel went away from God is because their, their grandparents and their parents told them about what God had done in Exodus and told them about the waters parting. But they did not try to experience God for themselves. And because of that, they got further and further away from God. I don't want to get further and further away from God. I want to see God do it right now. I I know he can. It is our generation. And God promises I will be faithful even in their generation. God can still do it now. He can save now. He can deliver now. He can heal now. He can set free now. I want us to experience it now so the next generation can experience. You realize it's not just about us, but it's about the, the faith we're passing down to the next generation. We're giving them. I don't want it to be a weak faith that nothing's happening. I want it to be a faith where we know that God has been good We've seen him move time and time again, and we pass that down to the next generation. Amen? So he's going to visit us. Now let's get to our text quickly this morning. Much like Abraham, this is an old Apostle Paul, a seasoned Apostle Paul. Not a young Apostle Paul, not the one that was at the feet, that they were throwing coats at his feet when Stephen was being stoned. Not the young Apostle Paul that was knocked to the ground by the light, and he was blinded, and Jesus spoke to him. Not even the younger Apostle Paul that wrestled with the early church about whether or not the Gentiles should receive the faith. This is an old Apostle Paul. He's imprisoned in Rome. He's going to write three last letters. He's going to write what is known as the pastoral epistles. He writes first and second Timothy and Titus. At the end of his life, he's not just writing to churches trying to tell them what to do. He is spending the end of his life pouring into young ministers that he knows are going to take the gospel further when he passes away. So he writes the last three letters of his life in prison in Rome, specifically to Timothy and to Titus, and he's telling them, I am pouring into you. I want you to know what you were called to do. I've done it. I've been there. I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten. I've been in prison. I've seen it happen now. I am pouring into you, and I'm telling you what to do. Now, before I read this to you, here's what Paul tells them before this. He says, godliness... Without contentment, or excuse me, with contentment, is great gain. In other words, guess what? You can live a life of being godly and being content. I believe in our society we need to hear this right now. Because we're in the midst of the month of Thanksgiving. And some of you, and I'm glad you do this, but some of you have already started being thankful for all that God has done. You'll take this month and you'll every day be thankful for something God has done. And then you'll get to the end of the month and Black Friday and you'll stomp on somebody trying to buy something before they get there. That's the way it works. I'm thankful all month, and then I'm extra thankful that this TV's on sale, and I'm going to knock you out trying to get it. 
I ran into a friend of mine, we went to college together, and I still joke with her about it when I see her, but um, I, I ran into her and her family at Best Buy one year on Good Friday, and I hadn't seen them in a while. It was here in Norman, and so I'm trying to talk to them, and she's trying to be nice and talk, but she got a TV over here, and this lady comes up to get it, and she goes, that's mine, leave it alone. Like, Justin, I want to talk to you, but I'm guarding this TV with my life. And so we were thankful for a while, but then we have all this stuff we want. And Paul says, godliness with contentment is great gain. You can be godly and be thankful for what you've got. And then he says this, you brought nothing into this world and you can take nothing out with you. There, you came in with nothing. You came in kicking and screaming and you did not own anything or have anything. And one of these days when you leave, you will not own anything on the way out simply because you came in that way, you're going to leave that way. And then he says, he goes on to say, the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money, but the love of money. So he's speaking to people that are greedy. He's speaking to people that want power. They want control. They want all this stuff. They want all these things. And he tells them, you can be godly and be content with what you've got. You don't have to have the largest house in the neighborhood. You don't have to have the biggest bank account. You don't have to have the newest car. You don't have to have all those things, and you can still be content. Remember, because you brought nothing in, you leave with nothing, and then if you're not careful, it is the love of stuff, the love of money, the greed of life that will make you, that it is the root of all evil. It will be the beginning of evil in your life because you care about all these things, and then he tells uh, Timothy what I read to you, but you, O oh man of God, you flee from these things, and and here's what you're called to pursue. Listen to that word. Pursue these things. Because these things do not come natural. Listen, greed, getting stuff, selfishness, it comes natural. You don't believe me? When you're done here, you're welcome to go back to our nursery back there and look in the door. Because you're going to see a kid say, my toy, mine. And you're going to see him grab it and whop another kid over the head. My toy. Who taught him that? Okay. Benjamin. They learn things from their parents. I get that. He knows we have a fireplace, and I put up this cushion bumper because he's pulling up now. And he knows he's not supposed to be over there. So the last few days, he will put his hand up there, and he will look back at me and shake his head no. Like, I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Okay? I mean, that stuff comes natural to us. But Paul says pursue. Do you realize the Christian life is a life of pursuit? It is pursuing holiness. It is pursuing godliness. It's pursuing him. You've got to pursue those things. They don't come natural. Today, if you want to lose weight and exercise and gain, that doesn't come natural for most of us. I know some of you said, I had to eat to gain weight. Bless your heart. I don't like you. Okay? I love you in the Lord, but I don't like you. Because I, 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 I gain weight looking at food on Facebook. Five pounds, ten pounds. I got to 270 before the president. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. That was a Facebook thing I saw. But, but the truth is this. We don't, you have to pursue things in life. And Paul says flee from all these bad things. Flee from greed. Flee from all this and pursue this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, get, get, gentleness. In a world where everybody is fighting over who's in charge, we as Christians, we pursue righteousness and godliness. In a world where violence is going on all around us, we pursue patience and gentleness. We live a part of a kingdom that is not of this world. And we've got to pursue that kingdom. We can't pursue the kingdoms of this world because the kingdom 
kingdoms of this world are going to fall every single time. And if my hope is only in the kingdoms of this world, then I am going to be disappointed. But when I realize I am called to pursue the things of God, so no matter what goes on around me, I am not pursuing earthly things. Because once again, I came with nothing, I leave with nothing. But I am pursuing a kingdom that is eternal. You understand that? I am pursuing something that I carry with me. And I carry with me an eternal kingdom. Because Paul goes on to say, fight the good fight of faith. Listen, once again, if you're going to do the right thing, you've got to fight the good fight of faith. It, it is a fight sometimes. Maybe you have never experienced this. But I worked one time at a, at a, at a corporation, not very long. It was one of those 90-day jobs. It was a temporary job. But those 90 days were probably the craziest 90 days of anywhere I've worked. A grandmother, a young grandmother, she had not her she had, had a child a younger age and she's younger herself sitting behind me. We're talking about cooking meth, selling it. That was a side job from what she was doing now. The lifestyles going on all around me and we were told by this company, don't bring it up to us, don't say a word. You can't complain about anybody, you can't say anything. We have a policy, people can do whatever they want basically and we're not going to we're not going to criticize them or say anything. In the, midst of, uh, in the midst of that, trying to fight the good fight of faith. And by good, the good fight of faith, I don't mean shoving my religion down people's throat. I don't mean making people feel uncomfortable because I'm constantly screaming about God. But doing the right thing. When you get invited to a company party, I, I went to one one time. I ended up having to leave. I had no idea. We're, we're, we're just sitting there. I was very naive young man. I was out of Bible college, but I, I'd grown up in a bubble my whole life, and I went to Bible college in a bubble, so I'm sitting there, and everybody's just sitting around looking at each other, and they start passing something around. They pass it to me. I don't know what it is. I realize it's a joint. I said, oh, here you go. I don't want that. No, thank you. I had no idea. I'm like, whoa, what is this? Here you go. I'm good. Thank you. Uh, I probably got secondhand high. I have no idea. I ate a lot of supper that night, but other than that, no, <laughs> just kidding. But, but in the midst of that, I mean, in the midst of that world, how do we live? How do we live in the midst of a, a perverse generation where things are going on around us? How are we called to live? And we've got to fight the good fight of faith because, listen, sometimes you get weary doing the right thing. You get weary when everybody else seems to be winning and they're doing the wrong thing and you're losing and you're doing the right thing. It gets difficult sometimes. But you fight the good fight of faith. You keep doing the next right thing even when it doesn't seem like it makes sense. You fight the good fight of faith. And then he says, lay hold of eternal life to which you were called and have confessed the good confession. And then he goes on to say, I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate. He tells us, you're called to hold the good confession, but guess what? You're not the first person saying it, that Jesus in front of Pontius Pilate, when Pontius Pontius Pilate looks at him and says, where are your people at? Why aren't they fighting? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, they would fight for me. But I belong to something greater than this. And he held on to the, the good confession, even in the face of being crucified and being killed. And
And Paul tells Timothy, you hold on to your good confession too. You hold on. It's what the writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And I want you to know today, on the good days and the bad days, we must hold our confession of hope today. When things go the way we want it to, we hold our confession of hope. When things don't go the way we want it to, we hold our confession of hope. Whenever our president gets elected that we wanted, we hold our confession of hope. When the one we don't want gets elected, we hold our confession of hope. Nothing changes in us because we hold fast our confession of hope without wavering because God is faithful. He is a covenant-keeping God, and he is fulfilling his covenant in this generation. So no matter what's going on around us, I will not allow the things around me to change me because I am going to hold fast to my confession. This week there have been people celebrating and grieving. In our state, more grieving and celebrating. But the truth is, no matter where you stand on those things, the Word of God does not change. And we are called to pursue the same things. No matter who's in the White House or who's in the Capitol, we pursue the same things. We pursue godliness and righteousness and love and gentleness. We pursue those things. If I'm happy, I pursue those things. If I'm sad, I pursue those things. Because I understand my hope is not in those things, but my hope is in Christ Jesus. He has never failed me. And it was an old psalmist, maybe David, who said this, I have been young, but I'm old now, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging bread I have never seen the righteous forsaken and I want you to know today God is a covenant keeping God and no matter what Paul was telling Timothy they may come arrest you they may come do things to you but Timothy you fight the good fight of faith you just pursue the things you're called to pursue you may be persecuted Timothy but I got good news for you God is faithful and just like Jesus held the good confession we are called to hold on to our good confession that is our hope Christians today. My hope is not built in this world, but my hope is built on the rock of Christ Jesus and I refuse to let anything pull me away from that. I am going to pursue love and gentleness and goodness because those are all the things that God is in my life. Amen. And then he ends with this. The worship team will join me very quickly. He who is blessed and only potentate. I love that. The King of kings and Lord of lords. Who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, who no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Let me finish with this. I believe Paul was trying to paint a picture for Timothy of God. And he just reminded him, Timothy, remember the God you serve. Let me just remind you today. Nothing surprises God. God has never woke up and thought, I didn't think about that. I wish that would have crossed my mind. Nothing surprises God. I don't understand all the things that happen all the time. But I do know, the longer I live, I look back and I see things that make sense, that did not make sense in the moment. In the moment, I'm thinking, God, I have no idea what you're doing. I feel like you're a thousand miles from here. But God says, just let me work. Let me do my thing. And later on, I can look back. Life is understood backwards. I look back, and I see where God 
was doing things that I could not see in the moment. I could not make sense of in the moment. And I had to learn just to trust him because he is the only potentate. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He is so awesome and mighty that he dwells in unapproachable light. Paul's trying to remind Timothy, Timothy, you have a relationship with God and you can go to his throne room and all of those things. But at some point, I think sometimes we get so familiar with God that we forget how powerful he is. And we just act like he's another person we just go talk to like it's no big deal. Listen to me. God loves you. He wants to talk to you. And you can do that. And it's easy. You don't have to have fancy words. But listen, never set aside the fact that he is God and there is nobody else like him. He dwells in unapproachable light. No man can see him or has seen him. I know what Moses, I know Moses saw the backside of him. The Bible says he passed by Moses. But God even told Moses, Moses, you can't see me or you'll die. Moses and God went on a walk. And Moses came back. I mean, God came back and Moses didn't. I always wonder in that moment that maybe Moses sees something. Paul says nobody had ever seen him. We don't have proof of that. But the truth is this. My point is this. We serve a God that is so holy and so good that he dwells in a, pla- in a, in a realm that we can't even understand. And what I love about that doesn't mean that he's far away from me. What I love about that is that he can do things I can't do. He he can make things happen that I can't make happen. He can fix things in a way I can't fix things. So I try to do it myself, and I look back over my life, and the older I get, I look back, and I think, Justin Wayne Blankenship, you've made some really dumb decisions over the years. That wasn't your brightest moment. But God worked all things together for my good. Even in the midst of things that I did that wasn't the best decision, God had a way of working in it. Because he is king of kings and he is lord of lords. He is greater than all these things. And I just wanted to give you some hope this morning. Because in this world right now, we are filled with anxiety and worry and fear. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen with the end of this election. Is there going to be court battles? I have, we have no idea. I don't have any idea. I don't have a crystal ball. I'm not one of these preachers who's going to prophesy and tell you what's going to happen. I have no idea. But I do know come January, whatever date is, and they, if we have a president by then and somebody's sworn in, that Jesus Christ will still be the only potentate, King of kings and Lord of lords. No matter who it is, on either side, I'm not picking sides this morning, I'm telling you, no matter who sits at the White House, Jesus Christ sits on the throne. And because of that, I put my trust in Him. I put my trust, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we put our trust in the name of the Lord our God. So I just want to give you some hope this morning. We're going to make it through this. We're going to make it through no matter how it gets. We're going to make it through together. We're going to make it through. We're, we're going to make it through life no matter good or bad, no matter who it is. Okay, understand that. I'm, not, I'm telling you this morning, no matter who sits wherever, we're going to make it through life because we're called to love each other. We're called to make a difference. We're called to pursue godliness. I refuse to pursue trying to greed and power. I refuse to pursue these things of racism and division and all these things that the enemy has tried to use to destroy our nation. But we are going to pursue Jesus and his love and his righteousness and his holiness and we're going to live that kind of life and we're going to make a difference and we're going to love everybody. We're going to, we're going to love people and we're going to see lives changed. Amen? So this morning, let us hold our confession of hope. We're holding on to it. And our hope is in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Would you stand up this morning?
This podcast is now over. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on future messages.